The following audio is from Community Bible Church in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us online at cbcnashville.org. One through nine, uh, chapter 3, 1 through 19. So let's hear the word of God together. Therefore, holy brothers... You who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. You can go ahead and be seated. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'd invite you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 9. Our text this morning is going to be from the last section of Deuteronomy chapter 9 all the way through chapter 11. Before we begin, let's go ahead and, and pray. Father, I just come before you this morning, we come before you this morning, praising you for all that you've done for us through Christ. 
I pray that you would help us as we come before your word this morning, as we consider just the richness of what you have done for us, the, the wonder of the deliverance that you've done for us through Christ, that you would just move our hearts in a way that only you can move to believe. Father, even those here who have believed for years and years and years who maybe can't even remember a time when they didn't believe, Father, for myself, I pray that you would help me to believe. Help me to have a confidence and an assurance in your work. So much so that it would move me, that it would move us to obey you. Father, help us as we come before your word to understand it. Help us to believe what you have for us to hear this morning. Help us not to harden our hearts and be stubborn. I pray that you would give us a heart of flesh that would love you, that would love your law that we would believe and obey your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So it's been a bit of a break since we've been in Deuteronomy. We took a couple weeks off as we considered the Advent season, but now we're back in Deuteronomy. And just to kind of go over a, a quick review, we, we are now in Moses' second sermon. As I've repeated over and over again, Deuteronomy is a, a book of, of sermons. It's Kind of an interesting thing, preaching someone else's sermon. Uh, that's the kind of the, the oddity of preaching through Deuteronomy. But these are Moses' sermons delivered to the people of Israel. It's the, now the second generation that has come out of Egypt. They are on the brink of the promised land. And Moses, as a, as a shepherd of his people, a pastor, knows that he is not allowed to go into the promised land. So he is delivering a series of sermons to the people, pleading with them with a sense of urgency to believe in a God who has delivered them out of Egypt, to believe in the God who has kept them through the wilderness, to believe in the God who is promising them the land that lies before them, to have confidence in God, and having confidence in God and love for him to obey his commandments. So as I said, we are now in the second sermon and we've, we've covered a, a chunk of it. This is definitely the, the longest of the sermons in Deuteronomy. We have much to go. But Moses began the second sermon by going over the, the Ten Commandments. He repeated the Ten Commandments to the people and the kind of the, the narrative of the historical account of God giving the people, the Ten Commandments. And as we remember, the people heard the voice of God from the mountain giving the Ten Commandments and they were terrified, they were afraid. And they came to Moses and they, they pled with Moses that he would be a mediator for them between God and them. They rightly understood that if they, they continued to hear the voice of God, if they continued to hear his holy law, that they would die. They were afraid for their lives, so they asked Moses to be this mediator for them. 
So it, if you recall back to our to Exodus, or you know, it wasn't that long ago. It doesn't feel like that long ago that we were actually in Exodus, even though I think it was a while ago. But in Exodus, we remember this kind of narrative account of Moses going back and forth up and down the mountain as he is mediating between the people and God. God says of that account, Moses says in this sermon, God said, Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep my, all my commandments. Then Moses went on to start to show the heart of the laws. He, he gave what, it, what uh, we call the great Shema. The great Shema. This is that, the line that begins here. The, the word Shema comes from the Hebrew word for hear or listen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. In our last sermon uh, that was in Deuteronomy, we looked at a series of warnings that Moses gave to the people of Israel as he warned them about things that they would face as they go into the land and things that might cause them to apostatize, to turn away from God, to turn toward the, the nations that surrounded them and away from the one true God. And Moses covers the, covered these in a series of statements that began with, if you say in your heart, if you say in your heart, the first one was that they're afraid of the nations because they're too great for us. And he reminds them of the greatness of God, that is not by their might, but that God rescued them. He says, if you say in your heart that it is by my power and might that I have gotten this wealth. So, so first going into the land, they say in their heart that those nations are too great for us. There's no way we can conquer them. But then once they're in the land and they're occupying the cities that they didn't build, occupying and living in the houses that they didn't build, these, these cities and houses that God has given them as they are then living in it, all of a sudden it's easy to sit still and say, ah, look what we have done by our might. So Moses says on the reverse of that first warning about being afraid of the nations, don't say in your heart once I've given them to you that you have done this wonderful thing. And then the final, if you say in your heart, passage that we covered was the one where they say, it's because of my righteousness, the Lord has given me this land. It can be a dangerous thing for even us as, as believers to kind of give God the credit and yet kind of take some of that our, ourselves. John covered this some in, in Sunday school this morning. We, we like to take credit for things that we haven't done. But even this, with kind of religion wrapped around it and seeing it given by God, it's given by God, but because of their righteousness. And Moses says, no, it's not because of your righteousness. In fact, the nations that I'm sending you in to conquer, I am sending you as my instrument to punish their wickedness. It's not because of your righteousness. So we've walked through this sermon to this point so far, and it comes to, the, to chapter 9. And in chapter 9, from verse 13 on, Moses shows the people of Israel an example from their history of the rebellion of their heart. 
And it's the, kind of the shining example that would start it all. And it's, it's such a shining example because it came right after Moses is given the law. It comes as they've heard, they've heard the Ten Commandments. Moses is now on the mountain receiving the rest of uh, the, the law from God, the details of the law. And as they're down waiting for Moses to return, they th- think, I think this man Moses might be dead because he's been gone a long time. So Aaron, can you just give us a God that we, that we can kind of follow? This God that Moses is talking about is a little hard to wrap our minds around. What we would love is a nice image so, Mo, so Aaron has them all turn in their jewelry. He melts it down and he forms the golden calf. And they, in that moment, are breaking the very covenant that they had just received. This covenant that God gave them. As we remember the, the way that the Ten Commandments begins, it begins with the preface of God telling them that he is their God. He has delivered them out of the land of Egypt, out of the bonds of slavery. So all of what he is about to tell them is already based on his loving kindness toward them, his steadfast love toward them. He has rescued them, and they are immediately turning and beginning to worship him the way they see fit, which, as we will look into in weeks to come here, true worship of uh, of God requires us to worship him in the ways that he has prescribed, that he has told us to worship him. When we, when we begin to do something that is contrary to his word and call that worship, it is really no worship at all. And certainly worshiping the golden calf is no worship at all of the true God. And a sign of them breaking the covenant is Moses coming down the mountain with the, with the Ten Commandments carved in, by the finger of God in these tablets of stone. He gets down and he sees just the, the parting that is going on in this, what is now a pagan worship service. And he throws the tablets of stone down. He breaks, breaks the tablets of stone showing that they have all, the people have already broken God's covenant. And, and the end of, of chapter 9 in Deuteronomy, Mo, Moses is focusing primarily on that event. He, he references some other areas of rebellion, but primarily on this event of the golden calf, how the, the covenant has been broken, not by God, because God never breaks his covenants, but by the people. And this threat from God to destroy the people. And Moses really steps in, fulfilling this role of mediator by interceding for the people. And he goes before God and he pleads for God not to destroy Israel. But Moses doesn't go on the basis of anything good on Israel's part. Like, God... Please save them because you know, they're, they're, I, I know they're hard to deal with. I know they, they kind of stumbled and fell here and there, but they're pretty good people. God, I, please save them because, you know, you've, you've brought them out of Egypt and all this, and wouldn't it be great just to see them as this great kingdom and great people that the, that the world could look at and say, ah, look at those wonderful people. 
But he, he pleads instead, not based on their virtue, but on God's virtue that he would save the people, that he would not destroy them. He says, imagine what Egypt would say. Why has God brought them out of the land of Egypt to this place where he has promised to give them a land to make them this great nation and God couldn't do what God said he would do. The very God who through these plagues proved that he was better than all the gods of Egypt, all the, the false gods of Egypt. Ah, see, he ended up being no God at all. So Moses is pleading with God as, as their mediator interceding for them. And the beauty in this passage is that God God renews the covenant. He renews the covenant. Rather than destroying the people, he renews the covenant with them. He has Moses carve two new tablets of stone, and Moses goes to the mountain, and God again writes with his very finger the Ten Commandments. He is a covenant-keeping God, even in the face of, of rebellious hearts. And this really drives home Moses' point in the sermon that is not because of anything found in the people of Israel, not because of anything inherent in them that God is rescuing them, but is because of who God is. God is the, the covenant God who is faithful to his covenant made with Abraham, made with Isaac and Jacob. He's the, the God who keeps his promises even when we can't uh, obey and can't worship him rightly. I want to read now, uh, I can't read the entire uh, section of our passage today, but I want to read from chapter 10, uh, verse 12, on to the end of, of chapter 11. So it is still a large chunk, but th this is the section that I really want us to, to focus on this morning kind of grasp what Moses is telling the people. So Deuteronomy chapter 10, beginning with verse 12, Moses continues his sermon. He says, and now Israel, after all these things, he says, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all people, as you are this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear... He is your praise. He is your God. 
who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments. Always. And consider today, since I am not speaking to your children who have not known or seen it, consider the discipline of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand and his outstretched arm, his signs and his deeds that he did in Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to all his land. And what he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses and to their chariots, how he made the water of the Red Sea flow over them as they pursued after you. And how the Lord has destroyed them to this day. And what he did to you in the wilderness until you came to this place. And what he did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliam, son of Reuben. How the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, and every living thing that followed them in the midst of all Israel. For your eyes have seen all the great work the Lord that he did. You shall therefore keep the whole commandment that I am commanded that I commanded you today that you may be strong and go in and take possession of the land that you are going over to possess and that you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give to them and to their offspring a land flowing with milk and honey for the land that you are entering to take possession of it is not like the land of the of Egypt from which you have come where you sowed your seed and irrigated it like a garden of vegetables. But the land that you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water by the rain from heaven, a land that the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. And if you will indeed obey my commandment that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early rain, and the, the later rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. And he will give grass in your fields for your livestock. And, he will, and you will eat and shall be full. Take care lest your heart be deceived. And you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. And he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain. And the land will yield no fruit. And you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house and when you are walking by the way and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, as long as the heavens are above the earth. For if you will be careful to do all this commandment that I command you to do, loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways, and holding fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you, and you will dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your territory shall be from the wilderness to the Lebanon and from the river, the river Euphrates, to the western sea. No one shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will lay the fear of you and the dread of you 
on all the land that you shall tread as he promised you. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse, the blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Are they not beyond the Jordan west of the road toward, toward the going down of the sun in the land of the Canaanites who live in the Arabah, opposite Gilgal, beside the Oak of Morah? For you are to cross over the Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God has given you. And when you possess it and live in it, you shall be careful to do all the statutes and the rules that I am setting before you today. I know that's a long, long passage. We're not going to get, uh, we're not going to look at all the details today. In fact, as I was reading through chapter 11, you're probably thinking to yourself, haven't, haven't we gone through some of this already? Well, this is because Moses is kind of bringing back some elements that he's already talked about. Uh, the, the section about uh, teaching these things to your children is almost verbatim for what he had previously said in, in chapter 6 in the same sermon. He's driving these things home. But what, I, what we're going to focus on today is mostly found in chapter 10. And this, this whole section of the sermon is important as we are moving toward the section of the sermon that lasts from chapter 12 to chapter 26. Because in chapter 12, Moses begins to give some, some details of the law, how, how the law kind of works its way out in, our, in their worship and in the, the way that they treat one another and the various holy days that they're supposed to observe, all these things. He's about to get into the details of the law, but the beginning of this sermon, really chapter 6 through 11, has been an exposition of the first commandment that, that Moses repeated at the beginning of this sermon, you shall have no other gods before me. And this is important because it's really the foundation of everything else as uh, if you remember a few weeks back when we looked at the Ten Commandments, we kind of saw that logical progression that you have to have those foundational truths of who God is, and it's out of that that flows a right worship for him. And it's out of that that flows uh, the, how we live our lives before him and before one another. It's this foundational truth that we shall have no other gods before him. So Moses is, is building this out for the people of Israel. God alone is God and specifically their God. It's this, this special thing. It's not as though he is one God of many gods, but he is saying, I am the one true God. And above and beyond that, you are the people that I have chosen. So, you, so I am in a very personal way your God. It's also important as we look toward chapters 12 through 26, Moses is, is building in the beginning of this sermon before he gets into the details of the law. 
He's building in this idea that the Lord is after their heart. And we've, you've, you've heard us go kind of beat this drum over and over in this Deuteronomy series. In fact, it's a heart that's on our, our graphic. This is a, a, one of the, a, a, a theme in all of Deuteronomy is the heart. God is not after mere external obedience, but he is after the people's heart. And Moses, again, is, is trying to bring this home in the beginning of this sermon so that they don't immediately go to what we call chapter 12 and start seeing the details and just say, okay, I love lists. Thank you, God, for giving us lists because now we know exactly what boxes to check. He's saying, no, Moses is pleading with the people. It's not simply about checking the boxes. God doesn't want you to only check the boxes. God wants your heart. So in verse 12, after Moses is kind of given the, this history of who they are, that they are a stubborn and rebellious people, that, that is, it is God's steadfast love that is constantly bringing them back in. It is by his steadfast love, his grace and mercy that he has even renewed this covenant with them. He asks this very important question. And as I read it, as we think about it this morning, it's important for us to ask ourselves the same question. Verse 12, he says, what does the Lord, your God, require of you? What does the Lord, your God, require of you? First, he says, fear the Lord, your God. He gives, he gives five things in this sermon for them to consider. Five words, fear, walk, love, serve, and keep. But this first Exhortation is to fear the Lord your God. You think of Proverbs chapter 1, where you hear the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And it's important for us as we, we consider fear, it's even in our Advent series on, on um, Sunday evening for the Christmas Eve service, I was drawing attention to the fact that one of the things you hear as uh, Gabriel's coming to Mary and the angels are appearing to the shepherds and both their, their responses is one of fear and the, the first words that you hear from these messengers of God is do not fear. And that's a wonderful thing in the Advent series to think about Jesus, the, the, the son of God coming and tabernacling, tabernacling with us, dwelling with us and this idea of no longer fearing God as our judge, but being brought into his household through the work of Christ. But the, and that is the kind of fear that this is speaking of. It's not a slavish fear, as our confession says, but a childlike love and obedience. It's the, the respect, the reverence that a child has for his father. In fact, this is the very picture that Moses has, has drawn out in this sermon so far as he reminds the people how God himself told them, he says, remember, remember how I carried you. I carried you through the wilderness as a father carries his child. 
So the fear that Moses is calling for the people to have here isn't a fear of God as just this far removed deity that, it, that will judge them, but a God who has ransomed them, a God who has delivered them, a God who has cared for them as a, as a father cares for his child. He wants them to revere God. He says, walk in all his ways. This is, you know, we, as we think about Ephesians, uh, we were in Ephesians this morning in our Sunday school class. And as I often say, if you're not in Sunday school, I would really encourage you to be in Sunday school. It's, it's, so, it's so good and so, such an encouragement. Right now we're talking about regeneration. And we've looked at John 3. And now we've been camping out in Ephesians for a little bit, just considering the work that God has done. But as we think about Ephesians in chapters 1 through 3, Paul is just proclaiming kind of this doxology of, of praise about all that God has done for us through Christ. And he's just proclaiming what God has done. It's not, none of it is you did this or you did that. It is all God, what God has done through Christ. In chapters one through three, he goes through that. And then chapter four begins with this line, I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then chapters four through six proceed to set forth what that walk looks like. Paul's not giving his, his opinions there, but, but he is describing God's ways. And this is what Moses is calling the people. He says, considering all that God has done for you, considering the great salvation that God has provided for you, fear him and walk in his ways. Thirdly, he says, love him. He's calling for, for Israel to see the beauty and the excellence of, of God. Love him. And love is such an important aspect of all of this. Again, as, as Moses is looking forward to chapters 12 through 26, the rest of the second sermon, he is bringing this idea out of the importance of love and how this impacts the heart because, again, it can't just be mere external obedience. That's not what God is after. He says we need to see his beauty. We need to, we need to see the beauty of the lawgiver. That's how we can then, like the psalmist says, oh, how I love your law. We can't love God's law if we don't love him. So fear him, walk in all his ways, love him. Serve, then he says, serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. This is a, a struggle that the people of Israel would have through the rest of their history. The idea of not being able to serve two masters. You cannot serve two masters. And yet so often in Israel's history, we will see them try to do just that. Where they kind of and look around at the nations around them and want to have a little bit of a smorgasbord of religion. Of We're going to kind of take a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And we're going to incorporate that into our religion. And God says, no, you cannot serve 
two masters. You must serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. It is a, a service of worship that is done with all of our faculties. Undivided worship of the one true God. And then finally, he says, keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. This is where as we, as we fear him and we, as we walk in his ways, we love him, we serve him, we see his, his commandments and his statutes as a thing that is beautiful, a thing that is for our good. And that's exactly what he says here in this passage. He says, I'm giving you these things for your good. So we keep the, com his, the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Th these are the, this is what Moses is, is drawing the people of Israel to believe, urging them to believe this. But he doesn't set forth these commandments. He doesn't set forth this exhortation to the people without any reason. It's not simply an apologetics where he says, there is a God, therefore you must serve him and do all of these things. It's not simply that. It goes far beyond that. As I just said in, in verse 13, he finishes up by saying, he says, to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. And he has previously mentioned this. He says, this, these things are for your good. Trust the Lord. He, he is not giving you these things just haphazardly. He is not commanding you th these things just because he likes to see that you can jump through his hoops. His commands are good and right and holy because he is good and right and holy and they are for your good. But then in verse 14 and 17, he says this. He says, behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. And jumping down to verse 17, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. So for what's one of the reasons they should obey? It's for their good, but also because God is their sovereign. God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. This, this isn't, again, saying that God is the, the supreme God of all other gods. We know there's no such thing as another God. This is really a, a way in the Hebrew writing to, to make an em emphasis. This is the super superlative use of saying God, when he's the God of gods and the Lord of lords, he is the ultimate. He is the supreme. He is higher than anything else. He is wonderful. He's the one and only God. He is sovereign over all. And again, it penetrates to such a much sweeter and deeper level than this as he says in verse 15. He says, yet the Lord, even though he is sovereign, that he is God over all, he says, yet the Lord set his heart and love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. He says, imagine this. Imagine the God, the one 
true and living God who created all the world, who set the stars in their place, who gave you breath, who continues to give you breath, the God who did all of these things, who is so holy and so far above us, he has placed his love upon you. He loves you. He chose you. This is the heart of our God as he shows us his heart in verse 18 of chapter 10. He says, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Most earthly rulers can't take time for the least of these. And yet God not only chose and loved Israel, and we'll just kind of bring the immediately, immediate application and then again to us, does, God doesn't choose and love you only, but he, he is the God who is compassionate toward the least of these, towards the orphans, towards the sojourners. He is the, protect, the protector of the oppressed. And verses 21 through 22, Moses says, he is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. Again, this is repeating much of the theme of the sermon so far, but it's Moses not only saying that God has chosen them and loved them, but he's saying he has proven it. You have tangible things that you can look back on and see that God has proven his love for you. We think back to the story of Joseph where it seems like Joseph's life is just all of a sudden just taking the turn for the worse as his brothers uh, sell him into slavery and he is ushered off into Egypt. But we learn from that story that God has put him there to preserve his people. So that as, Jake, uh, as Joseph's family comes and lives in the land of Goshen in Egypt, God preserves them. And although they are there and become slaves, they enter the land, 70 people, but they come out as numerous as the stars of heaven. He says, God has proven his love for you. Chapter 11 then goes out to draw out all these reasons by, by giving historical proof of God's protection over the people and his blessing them in the future. And as I read, the end of, of chapter 11, he draws this picture of, of urging them to listen today. He says, on the one hand, it's a blessing, and on another hand, there's a cursing. And what he draws their attention to in that is belief. Believe what I am saying, and I am ready to pour out abundant blessings upon you. And he draws this picture of agriculture. Of, he says, Egypt, you, you had to work for your gardens and kind of all making sure that you could get water to your crops and all these things. He says, 
the land that God is bringing you into, the, this picture of a land flowing with milk and honey, is this idea that God himself cares for this land. God is the one who, who waters it. God is the one who takes care of it. He has cared for it. His eye is upon it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. And God is ready to place you in it and just shower his abundant blessings of this land upon you. But the opposite, if you don't believe, is cursing. If you don't believe, if you follow after other gods, I will withhold these things from you. And as we see throughout the history of Israel, that's exactly what they do. And God is constantly pleading with them. This is just recently going through um, a parable with my boys about the, the vineyard, how the, the landowner leases out his vineyard to the tenants and as he sends his servants to check in and, and receive his part of the proceeds for the land, they, they are beating the servants and killing them off. And then he says, well, surely I'll send my son and then they will hear. And the son comes and the tenants say, ah, oh, let's kill the son and we can have his inheritance. And Jesus, in the passage there, the Pharisees realize Jesus is talking about them. But this, this has been the issue that Israel has faced and will face. God in his mercy is constantly reaching out and calling them as Moses is here. Today, if you hear what I say, don't be stubborn and rebellious, but obey. Believe. And this is what God has done with Israel in sending prophet after prophet, calling them to repent, and then finally his son. And they rejected his son. We face all these things and we, we think, okay, we will fear we will serve, we will love and keep all of God's commandments. We'll do these things. But what Moses draws our attention to here, the people of Israel and ultimately our attention to is the problem that Israel has is a problem of their heart. Because all of us, can hear these things and we can, we can immediately make a list out of those things as I kind of talked through in, my, in some sermon points this morning. We can make a list and try to define these things and, and systematize them. But the problem is we need a new heart. In verse 16 of chapter 10, Moses says just this. He says, circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Problem is, Israel and we can't fear, we can't walk, we can't love, we can't serve, we can't keep all these things. 
This is really looking forward to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. I'll just read it quickly for us. Because as they face this problem, well, okay, how do we go about circumcising our hearts so that we can do these things? Well, that, there, there's the problem. They can't. They can't do it. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, this is new covenant language as Moses preaches to the people and he says, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. This is a work that God must do for us. As we consider these things, I want you to just think for a moment with me the the different kinds of hearts that hear the law of the Lord, the different kinds of hearts that respond to what God tells us to do. And think first of a legal heart. A legal heart is one that says, okay, God's given me these things to do. And we want to know certain things. We start firing off rapid fire questions. Okay, God, what are the boundaries? What are kind of the lines that I need to know about? What am I not allowed to do? Just give me a list. What am I not allowed to do? How close can I get to the boundary? Show me that line. Maybe I can, you know, I want to know how much... I can walk right up to that edge without breaking it. Let me know that. Or, this is what the Pharisees did. That's the boundary. We're going to set some new boundaries so we can be way far away from that, from God's boundary so that we don't break it. We're going to build all these things. We want to know what measures we can put in place to not even get close to breaking through that line. It's the legal heart that says, okay, I've kept the rule. I'm good. I'm safe. The antinomian heart, the the heart that says there's no law, antinomos, antinomian, that person says there is no boundary. It doesn't exist. Oftentimes, though, antinomianism becomes a form of legalism because when we have an antinomian heart, we begin to look at people who are trying to obey God's law and, they, and we say, ah, they shouldn't be doing that. They're legalists. Sometimes they are. Sometimes it's just people who are delighting to do God's law and the antinomian says, ah, and they make a new law that we should not be doing. That's a new form of legalism. But what Moses is calling for is a circumcised heart. What does a circumcised heart say? As we would say from our, our Sunday school class, regenerated heart. Circumcised heart recognizes that we fall far short of the glory of God. 
A circumcised heart hears the, the, the law of God and maybe can't fully understand certain aspects of it. It says, I, it seems to be to me that wisdom dictates this, but you are saying this. The circumcised heart says, God, your ways are higher than my ways. You are far wiser than I am. I want to humble myself. I want to trust that you are giving me these things for my good, for your glory. A circumcised heart sees the law of God as more valuable than the finest of gold and sweeter than honey. As we hear in the Psalms. The difference is that the legal heart and even the antinomian heart, as I ha had a conversation with someone bring, was bringing this picture to my mind as we view the law as a hammer. We say, ah, all we see as we read these things, the details, we get into chapters 12 through 26, and, and, and even in the New Testament, as we see the various commands of God, we just see a hammer. We see it beating us over the head. And crushing us. The circumcised heart doesn't see a hammer. The circumcised heart sees a healing ointment, a salve poured upon us. The circumcised heart says, this is for my good. As we, as we wrap up, I want to tie just a couple thoughts together from this, from this section. Begin the section from 925 all the way through 10, uh, verse 11, is really looking at this mediation of Moses. And then as he goes on to talk about these, the, these exhortations, and talks about the need for a circumcised heart. This has to draw our minds to Christ. This has to draw our attention to a perf our perfect mediator, our perfect intercessor. So we think about Christ being that perfect intercessor for us. We first need to realize Moses was like us, a sinner. But Christ stands in our place as one who's never sinned, one who's tempted in every way that we are tempted, yet without sin. So he needs no intercession for himself. As Kevin read from Hebrews chapter 3, he's a son and not a servant. Moses was a servant in the house of God. Jesus is a son Moses went up and down the mountain between God and man. Jesus came down to be with us, atoned for our sin, died for us, was raised from the dead and ascended on high. And he, scripture says, he sits at the right hand of God, even now interceding for us forever. It's a perpetual intercession. And he intercedes for us, not based on any virtue or merit found in us, but actually on his own merit, 
where Moses pleads for God to rescue the people out of his virtue, Jesus can stand interceding for us based on his own merit as the son of God, as the perfect son of God, the perfect second Adam who perfectly fulfilled the law. And he sends his Holy Spirit upon us to circumcise our hearts. It's only, it's only really through this picture of the new covenant, which is, is true as we think about those. You, you, all you got to do is turn to Hebrews chapter 11 to see that story of the, the, the hall of faith, the people who back in what we call the Old Testament believed those people who had faith, they believed, they had real faith. But it's only through Christ and the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts that we can fear him, that we can walk in his ways, that we can love him, that we can serve him, that we can keep his commandments. As Moses is pleading with the people here, and reminding the people of the rebellious hearts, the author of Hebrews, as we read this morning, ple pleads with us to not be stubborn and rebellious like the people of Israel were, but to listen to the voice of our better mediator who says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. See, whether we are whether you're here this morning and you don't believe or you're here and you do believe, we really need the same thing. We need God to do his perfect work on upon our hearts so that we are enabled to trust and obey him, to believe his ways. We can't pull ourselves up from our own bootstraps and, and work out all of these things on our own, but we must trust in God. We must humble ourselves. We must fight and constantly remember not to allow our hearts to be hardened with unbelief, but to believe. As we come before the communion table this morning, and we consider in this special moment what God has done for us, for us through Christ, we consider his work it's really that, again, that moment for us to recognize that it's not about us, that we don't take these things and, and somehow in taking these things, we are earning our salvation or we are kind of further securing our salvation. This is Martin Luther. Is, he is a, a, a monk under the Roman church and he is just trying as, he, as he's reading the Holy Scripture and realizing as much as I try, as much as I try to do my penances and I, he says I, I pray and I'm going and confessing my sins so much so that the, the priests that he's confessing to, to are just saying enough Martin Luther, stop it. Why are you so obsessed with all this? And, he, and Martin says, because God demands it. God is holy and I am not. I don't know what to do. 
until he realizes that the righteousness that places us in Christ is not a righteousness of our own, but is a righteousness that is imputed to us from Christ. And he finally finds rest. This is what we celebrate at the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, as we recognize not what we have done, but what Christ has done for us through his body and his blood that he came to ransom us from sin and death, to make us new creatures who can obey him and love him and keep his commandments, but only through his perfect work in us. If you are here today and you believe these words, then this meal is for you to take it and enjoy it, to, to be nourished spiritually upon Christ, to be fed on him, and we take it together in that picture of our, of our union, one with another in Christ, that we enjoy him. But if you're here this morning and you don't believe these things yet, I would encourage you just to allow the elements to pass you by because we don't want you to take these things thinking that in some way this little cracker and, and juice are going to save you or, or somehow make you better with God. It's not. This is a celebration of the fact that we rely completely on what God has done. Where we say, I like to repeat often, we recognize that he is our only hope in life and death. Our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, and that is who we are celebrating. Let me pray and we will take it together. Father, I just pray that as we... Uh, take these elements together that you would help us to remember that you have saved us not for our righteousness but for your, the righteousness of your son you have placed your love upon us you, has, you have chosen us not because of anything inherent in us but because of your greatness your goodness that you as the God of gods and Lord of lords have placed your love upon us. That we are under your protection. Help us to remember that Christ even now is interceding for us. Help us to realize that your spirit indwells us. Enabling us to do what we could never do by the strength of our own might, the determination of our own will. So I pray that you would help us to take these elements in a, a spirit of celebration of what you have done for us. Take every thought away from us that, might, that we might try to credit this to ourselves, but help us to rejoice and focus solely on your son that we are hidden away with him. And we are yours forevermore. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation from Community Bible Church. For more information, please visit us at 6005 Edmondson Pike in Nashville, Tennessee, or online at cbcnashville.org.